Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathman, coming to you from Atlanta, wishing you and yours well. And our podcast, as always, is brought to you by Warner, the official sponsor of the Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year Awards and the official ladder of professional contractors everywhere. Warner, the number one pro ladder. Step up your game with Warner Ladder. Go to stepupwithwarner.com to learn more. By the time you hear this, there may well be more news concerning the massive undertaking that's going on right now in college hoops, and that is organizing a brand new schedule in the midst of a pandemic. With practice slated to begin in just over three weeks, college coaches, administrators, and network executives are burning the candle at both ends to schedule and reschedule games. We know this for certain as we come your way this week, the Maui Invitational is moving to the mainland during the pandemic. One of the premier preseason tournaments on the college schedule, the Maui Invitational, will now be played in downtown Asheville, North Carolina. This year's Maui Invitational field includes Alabama, Davidson, Indiana, North Carolina, Providence, Stanford, Texas, and UNLV. On the NBA side, it looks like it may very well be January of 2021 for the new season to begin. Commissioner Adam Silver said on Tuesday that his best guess is that next season will not start until at least January, plus acknowledging that the later-than-usual schedule could mean that top U.S. men's players may miss next summer's Tokyo Olympics. More, of course, on that as the situation develops. Well, this week, we celebrate the start of the 2021 college basketball season by checking in with the 1996 Naismith Trophy winner, Marcus Camby of UMass. This will be the 25th anniversary season for Camby's winning, capping a remarkable 95-96 season that saw the Minutemen under Coach John Calipari reach the Final Four for the first time in school history. That season, they knocked off number one, beating Kentucky in the season opener, Then they beat Wake Forest in a much-hyped game in which Camby outplayed Tim Duncan. Before a game at St. Bonaventure, Marcus fainted. Coach rode with him in an ambulance to the hospital in Olean, New York, and he missed four games but then was cleared to play. By late February, the Minutemen were 26-0, making a run of the first undefeated season the sport had seen at that point in 20 years. They were national darlings. After losing to George Washington, in that game Coach Cal was kicked out by the officials, UMass regained its footing. The Minutemen surged into the NCAA tournament, pushed all the way to the Final Four, and then lost to eventual national champion Kentucky in a bitterly fought battle at the Meadowlands. So let's talk about it all. Let's reminisce and check in with Marcus Camby. Marcus Camby joins us on this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast as we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Marcus winning the Naismith Trophy. Marcus Camby, it is so good to hear your voice and uh, catch up with you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. It can't be 25 years. <laughs> Tell my body that. <laughs> <But yeah. laughs> it's, been, it's been 25 now that you mention it and, and just thinking back on uh, – you know, where I was 25 years ago at the University of Massachusetts and, you know, having the honor of winning this prestigious award. I mean, gosh, time does fly. <laughs> Doesn't it? Uh, let's go back, Marcus, and talk about your career. Uh, let's pick it up back in Hartford. 
growing up and playing high school basketball and becoming the sensation that you were, uh, you know, there, there's not too many times that New England gets represented uh, like this with great players and great teams and certainly teams that go to the Final Four like you guys did at UMass. But first, talk about a little bit, Marcus, about growing up in Hartford and, and your high school basketball experience. You were the Gatorade Connecticut Player of the Year, and everybody knew about Marcus Canby blocking everything in sight. <laughs> yeah, growing up in Hartford was, you know, tough as, you know, every inner-city kid growing up in the United States. But I had a strong foundation, and, and my mom and my two sisters who really kept me well-grounded and focused on my academics first and as well as basketball. Um, you know, my team at Harford Public High School, I mean, those are the guys who I grew up with, who I hung out with, you know, every day. And we always had that camaraderie and that and that gift of being around each other that we know what each other was going to do on every single play. So when it came to the basketball season, it was just like us playing, you know, pick up ball at the park. We became so familiar with each other, and I think that allowed us to have a great success you know, and eventually, you know, going 27-0 and undefeated and, and winning the state championship. So, you know, a lot of credit to those guys when I was growing up. Those are memories for a lifetime. There's no doubt about it. Um, talk a little bit, Marcus, about the college recruitment um, because we all know how it ended uh, going to play for Coach Cal at UMass. But what was that experience like for you as you started to gain notoriety? Uh, it was different. You know, UMass was a school that, started sending me letters when I was a freshman in high school. And I was always a big guy on loyalty when it came down to making my decision. But I think once I went out to the ABCD camp in Irvine, California, and I played particularly well, that's when all the notoriety came, all the big-time schools came after me, uh, letters, uh, you know, coaches showing up to the school, numerous phone calls to the house when my mom was actually screening different calls for me. But it was it was definitely it was definitely fun. It was a fun process, but it was also stressful. It was stressful, you know, trying to narrow down the top, you know, three, four, five schools that I wanted to take my visits with, and you know, and it came down to it. Uh, you know, once Coach Calipari came to my house, uh, I always tell his story about how he can sell water to a well, and he won my mom over. My mom was like, uh, "You're going to go with him." Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much how I ended up making my decision, as well as, you know, me being a big guy on loyalty. I remember when UMass was recruiting me very early in the process before all these other big time schools came around. Who started recruiting you when you were a freshman in high school? From UMass. I was thinking about the coaches uh, under Coach Cal. Assistant Coach Bill Bano. Oh, okay. Bill Bano was, uh, you know, he had got word back to Coach Cal that, you know, it was this diamond in the rough right down the road in, in Connecticut that he needed to, needed to um, check out. And, you know, I think Coach I came to a couple games. You know, I had seen him on the AAU circuit, and, you know, I can tell that they were very interested in me. And, um, you know, I was very interested in them as well. Uh, you know, I was a homebody. I never really, you know, went out of my state of Connecticut. I never really been anywhere. And the UMass campus was like an hour plus away from my hometown. So it made it a lot easier for my, my mom and my family to come see me play on the weekends. Was there anybody else, Marcus, in the running? I know Coach Cal's a great closer, but uh, especially with your mom. But uh, was there anybody else uh, that uh, was right, sort of right there with them in terms of where well, you UConn. might go? Yeah, UConn was there. I took a visit to UConn 
um, and UMass and, you know, UConn, you know, they kind of recruited me kind of late uh, in the process, but, you know, they were my home state team. And, you know, I was a, a big fan of anything that comes out of Connecticut. Uh, I always rooted for UConn. I always rooted for Yale over Harvard. So I was just like a home state guy. So, you know, UConn recruited me kind of late. Um, and I had a great visit up there, uh, you know, but I felt like they had a, you know, a few guys in my position, a guy like Danielle Marshall. They had other big guys that I felt that if I went there, uh, I wouldn't get the opportunity that I have would have had if I went somewhere else. And, you know, I wanted to go to a place where I can make a name for myself and make a name for the school. So when it came down to it, I felt comfortable uh, with being with Coach Cal and Coach Spano and just being a little bit further away from home as opposed to 15 minutes up the road at, in Storage, Connecticut, to UConn. Well, make your mark, you did. Uh, that UMass story that you guys wrote was amazing. Uh, that, of course, culminated in going to the top of the rankings, a number one team in the country, uh, go to the 1996 NCAA Final Four in, in East Rutherford. Just an amazing run. And you guys, uh, really, Marcus, of course, your your defensive play uh, was amazing, uh, but it was part the centerpiece really of a great defensive ball club. You guys are one of the best half court defensive teams I think I've ever seen in college basketball. How, tell us about how all that came together. Uh, I just think you know, Coach Cal instilled in us that you know, for us to be successful, we had to be a scrappy team. You know, we had to uh, you know really be up into our uh, opponents' faces and, and really play all all out basketball and. You know, me being a defensive-minded guy, that was, like, right up my alley. You know, my forte coming in as a freshman was to block everything in sight and to grab every rebound. But I think as a whole, I think our whole team was balanced. I think we had great, great guard play. Uh, you know, and Edgar Padilla and Carmelo Travieso, those guys were the face of college basketball during those mid-'90s because everyone knew that team. Everyone knew about those guys. We were a, com- a complete team, and it wasn't just myself. Then we had great forwards and Dante Bright, who was a McDonald's All-American. Dana Dingle uh, from Bronx, New York, he was solid. He played real well for us. And we were just a real balanced team, real balanced team. And a very good three-point shooting team. Yes, yes. Those guys, are, our backcourt can really can really shoot the ball. Uh, you know, they were uh, they complimented me and, and the great Lou Rowe. They complimented us very well. Cal put a schedule together, Marcus, as you remember, that really prepared you well uh, for the postseason. And the one thing about, one aspect about that UMass team was that you won so many great games away from home. Uh, I'm thinking of Maryland, Georgia Tech, NC State, Memphis, uh, Wake Forest, I think, was in the mix, Syracuse. So you guys were battle-tested by the time you got to the tournament, and that had to be great preparation for the postseason. Yeah, that was always Coach Cal's strategy. I mean, you know, a lot of people didn't probably didn't put a lot of stock in us being in the A-10. You know, we battled with Temple. They were a perennial top program, you know, every year. But as a whole, I think a lot of people thought that we were, you know, wasn't like the ACC or the Big Ten. So Cal made it a point to himself that, you know, we'll play anybody, anytime, anywhere. And he lived up to that mantra because we played everybody. I mean, we, like you said, we went out to Hawaii. You know, we knocked off NC State, uh, USC, and beat Syracuse in the finals. Uh, we went down to New York and played Georgia Tech, who had Stephon Marbury. Uh, he pitted up a great matchup between me and Tim Duncan when we played against Wake Forest. You know, 
uh, a great team in Memphis who was led by, you know, God bless the dead, Lorenzen Wright, who was a great player. They were a top 10 program. So, you know, our out-of-conference schedule was, was, was the hardest and was the toughest. And I think that's what made us really special. I think there was like three consecutive years where we knocked off the number one team in the country. And, um, you know, that's what we wanted to do. I mean, we were a small program in a small school up in the Northeast where we played big-time basketball. You mentioned Temple. And I've got to get your thoughts on the rivalry with Cal and John Cheney because it really became legendary those days. Yes, the, the Temple rivalry is always our, our biggest test and, and, and our biggest challenges. Uh, you know, my freshman year was actually the year that, you know, Coach Cal and Coach Cheney got into it during that press conference. So ever since then, it's been, it's been a heated rivalry. Uh, you know, I remember uh, – you know, when I got to the NBA, I, I was playing with uh, Rick Brunson. You know, Rick Brunson was the point guard uh, of those teams in, uh, for Temple. And, uh, you know, we always had a lot of back and forth throughout our careers about, you know, how I got the best of him in Temple and, and things like that. But those games were always tough. They were hard fought. Uh, most of the times they came down to buzzer beaters that we had during those times. But definitely, definitely the best rivalry that we had at UMass. Let's fast forward a little bit to the uh, NCAA tournament of 96. Um, and some of these games, you know, really stand out. Uh, you got to play close to home, of course, in, in Providence. Um, then down here to Atlanta, uh, and that the, the game with Georgetown um, was just an, a blowout. I mean, you guys were incredible. Um, leading up to the Final Four, what stands out going through those first uh, round games and then the regionals. Um, I just think each game and each round got a little bit tougher. Uh, I remember starting out in Providence. Uh, I think we ended up playing like I think Central Florida, and we went on to play like Stanford was a team that we had played the previous uh, tournament in '95, and we knocked those guys off. And just getting down to Atlanta, uh, we knew that Georgetown was was looming. That, that was going to be a potential matchup in the Elite Eight. But we had to take care of business against the tough Arkansas team. Because if you remember, my sophomore year, they were the number one team in the country. And we ended up playing those guys in Springfield, Massachusetts. And we ended up beating them by double-digit points. I think, you know, Lou Rowe had got the best of Colas Williamson. And it was a great, great ball game. But coming down to Atlanta, we knew that it was going to have revenge on their mind. And, and we was able to take care of business. And that ultimately set up the class against Georgetown, uh, who had, like, a couple – NBA players on their team with Allen Iverson, Jerome Williams, Jahadi White, and they were close by, you know, the late great John Johnson. May he rest in peace. And, and that was a hard-fought game. Anytime you play against the Allen Iverson team, um, you know, it's always going to be tough. But, you know, we withstood their stand, and we was able to go on the run and eventually end up winning the game by 20 points plus. And, you know, think, speaking about Allen, you know, he was a teammate of mine when the Denver Nuggets so the running joke I had with him was how I always ended his college career. So <laughs> it was good to finally get a one-up on the great Allen Iverson. You guys are in the same draft class, right? Yes, yes, the 96 draft, uh, which I, you know, still feel was the best draft class, was led by so many great players, and it was headlined by, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant. No doubt. So then for the first time in school history, it's on to the Final Four, and uh, again, you know, fairly close to home to play at the Meadowlands. Uh, what was that like? Because, uh, I mean, for a school to make it to the Final Four is always 
unbelievable. But, you know, when you're there with Syracuse and Kentucky, um, you know, they've been there, done that. But for you guys, Mississippi State, this is a brand new experience. What was that like? Uh, it was surreal. I mean, as a kid, you always, you know, always looked at the NCAA tournament, you know, just the excitement, the excitement of being one and done. And so ultimately, you know, trying to get that, that one shining moment at the end that they play after everybody wins the championship. So we were all excited. Uh, we were all thrilled to be there. Uh, it was uh, definitely a great experience. Uh, we had a lot of a lot of great fans that traveled down to the Meadowlands to see us play. And we played against a great Kentucky team who we had knocked off first game of the season when they were the number one team. So they had a lot of revenge on their minds. Uh, you know, that game, uh, it didn't end up the way we – Wanted to, we all had thought it was going to be, but just to see how far we had came from, you know, tiny Amherst, Massachusetts to being the number one team in the country for numerous weeks, which hasn't been done for a team in the East like that. And and just putting our school on the map. uh, Those are just lifelong memories that as a team, we would never forget. And of course, you were the dominant player in college basketball that season, Marcus, no doubt uh, uh, such a worthy Naismith Award winner, um, and something that, you know, you went on, of course, and had a magnificent NBA career, but you look back 25 years ago, uh, this is something that, that you point to with great pride, uh, an amazing accomplishment for you, and it represents just a, an amazing part of your basketball legacy. I, you know, I definitely appreciate that. Winning that award was not a goal of mine going into the season, but just to when I get to go home to Connecticut, because the trophy is in my mom's house, she won't let me take it. So just to see how she claims ownership of it and how proud she is of, you know, what her son has accomplished in college basketball and in life, you know, that's what it's all about. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the Naismith uh, Committee for naming me the player of the year, uh, just because I see how great it made my family feel. I mentioned your pro career. You know, you broke in with the Raptors and then uh, to the Knicks and a chance to, to play in an NBA Finals in 1999 at the expense of my Atlanta Hawks, I might point out. And then it was on to Denver, uh, Clippers, Portland, Houston, what have you. Uh, you, you of course, got a ton of awards, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, you know, block shot leader, all of that that, uh, that we all came to love uh, from your play. What stands out about your pro career that you'd like to, for our audience to, to hear? We, we know the stats, we see the highlights, but what meant so much to you? The Defensive Player of the Year certainly was a huge standout. Uh, that was definitely a huge standout, but honestly, I just think getting drafted. I mean, getting you know, every little kid growing up playing basketball, they always, you know, dreamt about hearing their name called, walking up on stage, shaking the commissioner's hand, and for me, you know, that's what it was all about. You know, me growing up in Hartford, Connecticut, I had a lot of people to look up to. I remember a guy named Michael Adams. He played a, a lot of years in the NBA. And Rick Mahorn, those were guys that were also from my city of Hartford, Connecticut, who really set the tone for me to really believe in myself and saying that if these guys can make it, you know, so can I with, you know, persistent work and stand on the right path. So just hearing my name called, being in the green room, uh, in there with my mom and my families, knowing that I'm going to change their lives forever is the most gratifying feeling in the world, and that's something I would never uh, never take away from me. Well, you had a marvelous career, Marcus. Uh, what you up to these days? Uh, right now, um, you know, this uh, 
the social distance in school is keeping my kids very busy. So I'm staying active in my kids' lives. I have three girls. Uh, my oldest is a senior right now, so she's having a hard time, uh, you know, with her senior season with not being in any school and have to social distance. So just being a full-time parent, as well as handling my business affairs, you know, I have a real estate company, have a couple of barbershops, uh, have a landscaping company. So it's keep really keeping me busy, really keeping me busy, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, it's great catching up. We salute you, the 25th anniversary of your Naismith Award, and we wish you all the best. Thanks so much. Great hearing your voice and great catching up with you, and all the best, Marcus. We appreciate it. I appreciate you for having me. Thanks once again. That was outstanding. Thank you, Marcus, and all the best. This week's A Trophy Life brought to you by Warner, the official sponsor of the Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year Awards and the official ladder of professional contractors everywhere. Warner, the number one pro ladder. Step up your game with Warner Ladder and go to stepupwithwarner.com to learn more. That's it for this week. Developments changing Day by day with the restart of the college season on November the 25th. We'll be back next week with more news, notes, and an interview. Thanks for joining us. From Atlanta, Bob Rathman saying so long.